0: So, Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26, and then we'll be in Psalm 51 after that. This is the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then our second passage is Psalm 51, verse 5. And it says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us daily. And Lord, we do pray that today your word would speak to us and shine through, Father. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, even for this sermon, uh, for this weak vessel, Lord, that you would bless uh, my words in this talk. Amen. Now, I love a good action movie, and that might be to my wife's dismay because every single time it's my turn to pick out a movie, whether a rental or a red box, you better believe it's going to have cheesy one-liners and lots of explosions. Right, guys? That's what we like. You know, that kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger stereotype where he's riding on a motorcycle and he jumps off explosion number one, and then he takes off a ton of bad guys with, with just his fists, and, and then just to throw in some flair, he walks away and the warehouse he was just in explodes, and he says a crazy line like, I'll be back, right? That's my kind of movie. But I think if you and I were to take a step back and really think about some of the movies we watch... Some of the things that we consume as a culture, uh, maybe they don't have the best view of human dignity or human life. I mean, the Arnold Schwarzenegger guy just, just had two giant explosions happen, and think about all the people he just took out, and we didn't even bat an eye to that. Sometimes we might be a little bit numb. Well, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so this sermon's title has a, a very original title. It's The Sanctity of Human Life. And there's really one big point, the main point of our sermon, uh, that, that we need to hear. And it's this, God has a special love for human life. He considers it sacred. And so if God considers human life sacred, so should you and I. In order to think about the sacredness of human life, I think there's three questions that we need to ask. So these are going to be our three points if you're keeping keeping track today. And our questions are these, why is human life considered sacred? When is human life considered sacred? And what should our response to this information be? So let's dive right into the scriptures, answering first this first question, why is human life even considered sacred so I said let's keep our fingers in Genesis 1 so turn back to Genesis 1 with me Genesis 1 is pretty important it's the very first chapter of the Bible and it's God creating the world and if you look at the language of God as he creates all the living things it's very important and it's very interesting In verse 11 and 12, he creates all vegetation and grass and trees, and he says of them that he created them according to its kind. He uses similar language when he talks about fish and birds in verse 21, and then all the creatures of the earth in verse 24 and 25. So of all living things, pointing To the center, which man is kind of the pinnacle of creation, all living things before man were created according to their kinds. So when we get to verse 26, talking about the creation of man, we would expect they too were created according to their kinds. But instead, God throws a curveball. And in stark contrast to animals, of humans, he says this, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now we could have four sermons just off of these verses. They're so much to unpack. For instance, did you notice there's a subtle reference to the Trinity there? Let us make mankind in our image. So much more we can unpack. But today we're talking about how God views man. And so our first question was why is human life considered sacred? And it's answered right here because human life bears the image of God. What does that mean? Well, humans are supposed to represent God to the world. Now, we fell, so we don't do that perfectly, but every single human is supposed to rule over this world in a way that shows God's love and points back to him. And so, man has a special place as God's image bearer. Man is not equal to animal life. There is not equal plane here that we're talking about. And you see, after Genesis 3... Uh, Man is shamed and man and woman are naked. And what does God do? He kills an animal to clothe them in animal skins. And thank goodness that doesn't happen of a human. That would never happen, right? Because there's special dignity that humans have. And just a few chapters later in Genesis 9, God has kind of pushed the restart button on the world. And he's making kind of a new commitment with Uh, with Noah and with his family. And to them he says, you can kill animals, but you cannot kill man. Genesis 9, 6 says this, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has created mankind. So right there, God's speaking about murder. God hates murder so much that he says the penalty for murder should be death. And why? Because they're in the image of God. That's based in creation, our very nature. That seems kind of harsh, right? When, we, when we're not thinking about that deeply yet. But let's kind of take this as an analogy. Uh, think back to a time when there were kings. Uh, a time maybe in the Bible or, or medieval times And kings would often send representatives to a different country. Those representatives' very words were supposed to be the king's words. And the representatives' actions were the king's actions. So if somebody from that other country decided that they wanted to take out the king's representative to murder the king's representative, how would the king respond? Well, probably the king would declare war. Because an act against the king's representative, his image, is an act against the king himself. That's why there's such a huge penalty for murder in the Bible. Now please don't don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that God could never forgive murder. In fact, any sin, including murder, can be covered by the amazing and powerful blood of Jesus Christ. So if you are sitting here in this room today, and even if murder is something that is in your past, if you repent and turn to Jesus, he is able to forgive. And yet, passages such as these point to the fact that God takes murder very seriously because humans are in his image. So again, human life is not equal to animal life. And that's why when we come to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, uh, the Sixth Commandment says, You shall not murder. So it is clear, we see the why. Why in the world is human life sacred? Because we're made in the image of God, and God holds that image in high esteem. So you and I should as well. We should care for the image of God. Care for the starving image of God that you find. Care for the oppressed image of God that you find. And care for the image of God to whom death seems inevitable. We shouldn't allow for the senseless killing of human life. So we've answered this question, why is human life sacred according to the Bible? But that begs a second question. Well, when is human life considered sacred? Or to ask it another way, when does one become human? Now our culture has many different answers to this question and many different cultures have different answers. Some people say you become a human when you're born, when you come out of the womb. And on the surface that make a little bit of sense because you see the child, you hold the child, you hear the child crying at that point. But honestly, if, if we're truthful... Is a baby any different mentally or physically two minutes before or two minutes after birth? No. All right, well, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's the ability to function independently or the ability to think that makes somebody human. But if that's our criteria, think about somebody who's in a coma. Can they function independently or can they really think and have consciousness? No. So that can't be how we measure human life. Now, some cultures go even farther, uh, both today and, and in, in past times. Many cultures have said, you're not a human until you're a certain age. Uh, maybe that's because they've got a low birth rate. Uh, you're not a human until I give you an a, a name, or you do a cultural rite, and you're accepted into the family. And this idea is really important, actually, when we're looking at the Bible. Because this is what Romans believed. The Romans believed that you're not a human... Uh, until a certain age and until I accept you into part of the family. And so for them, that allowed for population control. They could abort a baby without feeling bad about it. They could also have a little infant child, and they could choose whether or not they wanted to keep that child without feeling sorry. So if it wasn't a male child that was healthy, likely they were going to leave that child outside in the cold to die. This is what the early church was dealing with in in worldviews that were around them. So what does the Bible say about when somebody is human? When we should consider their life sacred? And today I'm going to talk about three tiny little uh, points here, narrowing from broad to narrow, about when the Bible says uh, human life is sacred. So the most broad Uh, is that God is in control of all points of human life. That's as broad as we can get. Ephesians 1 makes it very clear that God knows and chooses his elect even before they're born. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So that means God knows who we are, Even before we exist. Even before the world was created. Even before your parents meet. God knows you and has a plan for your life. And further, God uh, has a process. He's in charge of the entire process of making a human. Earlier in the sermon, uh, Adam read for us from Psalm 139 which is an amazing passage of of David crying out to God and declaring some pretty amazing truths. And one thing he says is, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And throughout the Bible, again and again, the entire process of somebody being formed, somebody becoming a person is given to God. It's a miraculous thing that he does according to the bible so that's as as broad as we get god is in in charge of us being formed and is in charge of human lives in general should we be interfering with that but secondly uh, the bible presents babies in the womb with human attributes and human rights the bible presents babies in the womb as humans many different times The Bible consistently does this, and we saw this also in a a passage that Adam read earlier today, uh, Luke chapter 1. And in this, this passage, there's this amazing story of Mary, who's the mother of Jesus, and Jesus is in her womb at this point. And she goes and she visits Elizabeth, who at this time has John the Baptist in her womb. And what happens when John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb hears the voice of Mary who is carrying his Lord? Well, inside the womb, John the Baptist leaps for joy. That's amazing. Uh, the image I get is, is, say, when you're telling a little child that you're going to go out for ice cream later on today, what's that child going to do you? not going to be able to contain themselves they're going to be jumping up and down until you go and you get that ice cream and then they're probably going to be jumping up and down the rest of the day right that's the kind of joy that we see in this passage john is joyful in the womb because his savior is near he's actually acting like a prophet even before he's born so that's that's showing his humanness there And there's other individuals we could talk about uh, in the womb. Uh, But another point that needs to be said is is that the Old Testament laws even point to humans uh, as as being human in the womb. So that sixth commandment, you shall not murder, is given in Exodus 20. And then the next few chapters are, are trying to explain the Ten Commandments And in chapter 21, uh, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, is being applied to life in different life situations. And one life situation that's being explained here um, is is if two men get into a fight. So if two men are fighting and there's a pregnant woman accidentally gets in the mist and you accidentally bump the pregnant woman, what happens if there's harm to the baby? And, and this, this passage says this, uh, You shall repay life for life, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and so on. So if a baby is harmed, you should repay them equally, in a sense. The harm that is done, says that passage. Now notice, that's the exact same punishment Given to an adult human being in Genesis 9, if you shed human blood, your blood should be shed, said God. And here again, if you harm a baby in the womb, whatever harm is done to the baby is done to you. Now why would that be? Well, because they're in the image of God. So even in the womb, a baby is still in the image of God. God has known that baby even before they existed. And at that moment, they are in his image. They must be protected. So we've gone broad. God is in charge of the entire life cycle. Babies in the womb uh, are protected and have human rights, according to the Bible. And then lastly, uh, we're trying to narrow down, okay, but when does somebody actually become a human? Uh, And the Bible seems to present this At the point of conception, one of the most convincing verses for me uh, comes from Psalm fifty-one, five, which we've actually read a number of times today. And this says, "This, behold, I brought. uh, Sorry, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me." Now, context is king. We need to understand what's going on in a chapter to understand a verse. And in Psalm 51, David is crying out to God for mercy because of all the different ways he sinned. And if you notice, we actually use this psalm as our confession of sin uh, this morning. All of us together confessed these words. And did you notice what David was doing when he was looking back at the sin in his own life? He was trying to find where the root of sin was. When did he become sinful? And he says this, In sin did my mother conceive me. The root of sin in David's life was his conception. Now there's a very famous Christian thinker whose name is John Frame and he's, he's a Christian ethicist so he's somebody who thinks about what is right and wrong according to the Bible and he says this about Psalm 51 5 he says an impersonal being a bro- blob of protoplasm that would be like a clump of cells cannot be a moral agent alright that was too many big words for me. What, what does that mean, right? Well, to bring that into analogy, into an analogy, uh, if you were holding a hammer, would you call a hammer sinful? No, it's an object. If you were at a table, would you call a table sinful? No. The chair that you're sitting in right now, is it sinful? Some of you are like, yeah, these things are really squeaky. <laughs> no, our chairs aren't sinful. They're just. Objects. And so to claim to be sinful from conception is to claim to have kind of a moral state from conception. And that means to claim to be a person from conception. So David's claiming he's in the image of God and he has a sin nature from the point he was conceived. Wow. All right, so all stages of life, uh, from conception to death, it seems to be when human life is sacred. So now that we've got all this biblical truth in mind, all this biblical information, we need to ask ourselves the what question. What do we do with all this information? How do we apply this to our own hearts and to our own lives? Well, firstly... Let me address some things, uh, some ways we should not apply this information. You see, when, when you and I, uh, when we get new biblical teaching or when we feel strongly about a subject, uh, it's, it's very common for us to kind of vomit it up in the face of our friends and our family, you know, to shove it down their throats like this is the truth. And if I'm honest, that's my tendency uh, is to say, hey, this is an awesome truth. You should know it too. Uh, let's, let's all get on the same page here. What you don't believe, what I believe. Um, now I'm angry. You know, I'm sure nobody else in here has, has ever felt that way before or acted that way. So let's watch ourselves when we're in conversation. Remember to be winsome uh, when we're talking about the truths of the Scripture, Another thing we probably shouldn't do when we apply this is we should be weary of of shaming, um, shaming others. You see, the fact that human life is sacred can be an extreme shame to anyone who might have snuffed it out in the past. And so the church should be a place of counseling, of consoling, and of loving those who are even grieving their past choices. Now, if this talk is convicting in any way, I do pray that that you seek counsel. And I also pray that our church would be a place that, that doesn't simply condemn or ostracize, but as God does, reaches out to broken people. We're trying to be in God's image, in Christ's likeness. And, you know, Christ himself said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's not come to this with an kind of a superiority and trying to shame people, but instead, let's come speaking the truth in love. That's kind of where our application actually begins. You can be a voice. Be a voice for the voiceless. That's important. But Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. So yeah, come... Have conversation with your friends, with your family. But in doing that, and when you're speaking boldly, remember you're representing God and how you present truth. So yeah, we can speak boldly. How else can we apply this biblical information that we've learned today? Well, we could get involved either with time or with money in organizations that promote a good view of human life. And Adam's mentioned two this morning already. He's mentioned Love Life, who we partnered with, who do prayer walks around abortion clinics, um, not, not in a condemning way, but in a way that praises God and prays that, that these human lives would be saved. Uh, they, they also get involved in, through mentorship programs and caring for those who choose life by supplying diapers and also uh, counseling people who are about to decide for adoption. Or we could get involved with this baby bottle boomerang, which we are starting actually today. This is application of our sermon right here. Bring these things home and and fill them up. And this money will go towards a great cause, which is helping those uh, who are deciding for life uh, and caring for their children and also supporting uh, doctors and, and nurses who are helping with ultrasounds so that people can see uh, their babies. That's an application, a possible application of our sermon. But a final big application for us uh, is going to be to consider adoption. Adoption is so important uh, to, to this idea of the sanctity of human life. And one claim that is often made against the church when we claim this when, when is human life sacred, in the womb even, is this, well, if you really care for human life, wouldn't you adopt from foster homes? Think about all these kids that are already here. We hear that all the time. So we need to take that to heart. That is a good critique. Our church does need to be stepping out and caring for human life that is here and now. We need to be thinking about adoption. I I praise God that, Uh, Adoption has been such a huge part of our church. Uh, It seems like every staff meeting, uh, we're praying for a different couple who's considering adoption. Uh, What a wonderful picture of of God's mercy and love that you guys are are presenting to the world. So thank you. That is amazing. Throughout church history, adoption has been a key witness to Christ in the church. Remember earlier when I said that the Romans had a, a, a poor view of, of human life and, and they would leave even babies out to be exposed that they didn't want? Well, the early church had the same view of human life that we have now. In fact, the earliest uh, church creed that we have is called the Didache, and it says this, You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill that which is begotten. So the early church had this same View And so they cared for those children that were left out in the elements. And they would take them in. So many early church congregations had tons and tons of girls and women that were adopted. And it was this huge witness to Christ that people were bringing in through the love of Christ people into their home that were unwanted We can do the same thing today. We can keep this amazing tradition of caring for people who are left alone. Let's care for human life in that way. Now there's many more applications to this idea of the image of God that we cannot cover today. Uh, We're focusing mainly on babies in the womb. uh, this, This Sanctity of Life Sunday. But this would also have implications for, say, race relations. All races are in the image of God. Or or even relations of parents with children. Remember, parents, your children are in the image of God. And and kids, remember, your your parents are in the image of God. They should be treated with respect and dignity. Uh, The oppressed we should care for. The starving we should care for. So many more applications this could have. Uh, for our own lives. So one thing I, I want to ask all of us to do this week is as we're interacting with other people, uh, let's think about how the fact that they're in the image of God affects our interactions with others. So concluding, what, what we've gone through today, it hasn't been quite a normal sermon. We didn't just stay in one passage. It was more jumping around. But what we talked about today was why... When and what of the sanctity of human life? Why is human life sacred? Because every single human life is made in the image of God. When is human life sacred? Well, the Bible seems to tell us God is in charge of all human life. Babies in the womb are treated as humans. And at conception, even people are sinful. So that means moral capability or humans, even at conception. And then finally, what and how to apply those things to our lives. So, at this time, let's go to the Lord in prayer, uh, praying about these things uh, to the Lord uh, who is in charge of all. Father God, uh, we thank you for your Bible, which teaches us truth. We thank you for your word, which helps us to understand why we're even different than animals, Lord. Lord, and we thank you for uh, just the fact that you created us at all out of your love and out of your creativity, Lord. And and then also the fact that you gave us consciousness, you gave us life, and you gave us the image of God as human beings, Lord. What, What a blessing it is to have. I pray for all of us in this room that we would bear that image well. That if there is anybody here that that does not know you, um, they too are still in the image of God. And so I pray that through the Holy Spirit, uh, you would show them the truth that they are supposed to point to you in all that they do. Father, we do pray uh, for for Love Life, uh, for Hope Crisis Pregnancy Center, and, and for adoptions and involvement in all three of those in our own lives of, of this congregation, Lord. Lord, give us a heart uh, for, for those who do not have voices. Give us a heart uh, for simply all humans that bear your image, God. Uh, Father, we desire to have the same heart that you have and that you present, and so God, please give us your love. Amen. Amen. Acts 3.15, Peter calls Jesus the author of life.